We are in our first Sunday of the month of October. And with that, we start a new um, Sunday school theme. And that will be crucified with Christ. Amen. Crucified with Christ. And this is kind of a little bit back to the basics. You know, we can do all kinds of deep dives, but sometimes we need to just get back to what is a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian and in this way? And we're going to be looking at that in this next month. Amen. God is so good. He's so merciful and loving. And he has been merciful and gracious to me. We, we have quite a few people who are out sick, so please bear them in mind. Amen. Uh, keep, let's remember to keep the people in Florida uh, in our prayers. Uh, my brother and his family were... Okay, they didn't lose power or anything, so we're happy for that. And our other friends, um, brother and sister Osborne, were okay as well. But I know that there are many others who suffered loss, and so let's keep them in prayer. Amen. Amen. Our theme scripture for this month will be from Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. It says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We could spend a long time just upon, on that one verse. It's so deep and it's got so much uh, meat in it. And we are going to take some time and look at it. You know, Paul was explaining to the Galatians in his epistle to them about the difference between the law and grace. And he was explaining, I'm crucified. That means my flesh, my past deeds are supposed to be crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I still live. Yet not I, but, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Because if we try and make ourselves good, we will fail. There is none good but God. There is no perfect church on earth yet. We are being perfected. Amen. And, and you know, when people, uh, uh, you know, go from church to church looking for the perfect church, they're, they're guaranteed to be disappointed because there was only one perfect person, and that is Christ. But we go on to perfection. We are in the process. We're in the journey of perfection. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, even though my flesh is in the physical world is still alive, I'm, I'm supposed to have it in a, in a carnal sense dead so that I live yet not I. The only way I can live is through faith, believing that God counts me righteous because I'm on this journey. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God. It's because we put our faith that God died for us, washed us, and forgave us of our sins. That's how we can live. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we're going to look this, this week at the steps to salvation. Because, you know, I get lots of calls of people saying, I want to be baptized. And yet they don't really understand what that means. They think that if they come in here and I baptize them, bam, that solves all their problems. And they don't understand what it really means when you are saying to be baptized. So we're going to take a little time out to really look at 
the steps to salvation. Yes, baptism is necessary, but if you don't do it the right way, all you do is get wet and come out. Amen. So the steps to salvation is, first of all, seeking to grow. Fruit of the Spirit. A light upon a hill and the cross. Those are the five topics we're going to cover in the next five weeks. This first week is the steps to salvation. And next week we're going to look at, at growing because... When we come to Christ, we should start to grow. We should not be the same year to year. We should have been able to come through a few things. And then we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit, which is what we should bear if we're growing. You know, when you plant a tree, when you first plant it, it doesn't give you any fruit. Maybe it takes two or three years, but eventually it's supposed to bear fruit. And eventually we are supposed to bear fruit. And then more than that, we should become a beacon and a light to others. Amen. And then we're going to finish up with the cross. I believe this month has five weeks, so we're going to cover that. So this week we're doing the steps to salvation. And of course, the first step is repentance. Repentance, right? And how do you, how do you even know to repent? You have to hear. Someone has to tell you and point out where you are at, and why you should change. So repentance starts with hearing the gospel message and believing. It's one thing to hear it, but then you have to be convinced and say, you know, I see, I understand. And so the first step of repentance is, of course, not even up to us. We have to somehow hear the message, and it has to convict us. And then we have to decide and take a step. So then the second step is a recognition that we are sinners, right? And in doing so, we're confessing, Lord, I need a Savior. I do need someone. I, I am a sinner. I recognize that what I've been doing has been all about me and in my flesh. And so then we have to recognize that we are sinners and then understand that we cannot save ourselves. That it's not about how good I can make myself because I can't. I can't. I fight that every day, right? Strange thoughts come into your head. You say, where did that come from? <laughs> where did that come from? We cannot save ourselves. And so part of that is asking for forgiveness. And that without Christ, we are destined, recognizing that if we don't come to him, then we're destined for the death eventually of our souls. Because it's only through Christ that we can have eternal life. So eventually there is going to be a death of our souls. And then... The thing that empowers that, and I taught that before, the thing that empowers faith, that really gives faith strength is what? Love. You, be you, lo you believe in someone you love. Right? You have a lot of faith in someone you love because you admire them. You, you, there's reasons why you love them. You trust them. So faith is empowered by love. Recognizing the love shown by God through Christ in coming to provide a means for bringing us back to Him should Start something in us that reciprocates. My father used to say, love wins love. Now sometimes that's a long process. Maybe it's a 20-year process of just showing love. You know, and it seems like nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. But that's what my father used to say, and I believe it. It, it's not an overnight thing. When you plant something, you don't go back the next day and expect it to, to harvest. 
but you keep planting seeds of love. God has been planting seeds of love towards us. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, right? Christ died for us, showing us He loved us. When we sometimes don't love ourselves. So recognizing God's love is key to being able to love Him back. It's hard to love someone who you know hates you, right? It's much easier to love someone who you know loves you and cares about you. It's easy to love someone who loves And in recognizing and understanding that God loves us, that begins, that opens the door to us returning that love. Amen? Amen. Recognizing the love shown by God through Christ in coming to provide a means for us to get back to Him. And then finally, understanding what God did because of that love. What love does is moves someone to action. Right? If you, wanna, if you love someone, you want to be talking to them. You want to be with them. So it moves you to action. And then, of course, if we love God, then we will want to please Him. And that brings forth the fruit of what the Scripture speaks about is godly sorrow. Right? When we hurt someone, if we love them and we realize it, then we are sorrowful. Lots of times I would, uh, during the 45 years of my marriage, I hurt my wife, but it was never deliberate. You know, just me being thoughtless. But once I realized, and she pointed out, you know, that wasn't nice. And then it hits me. And I realized, oh my goodness, you're, you're so right. You know, I didn't even think about that. And it could have been something as simple as walking off. <laughs> you know, being a pastor, I go into a church and there's a whole bunch of people I, I need to go see. And I might, oh, there's, and I walk off. <laughs> Confession. Oh, oh, she's in here now. <laughs> Amen. Confession. So when we hurt someone and we realize it, that brings a sorrow, a godly sorrow, right? And we, 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 it motivates us to try and fix the situation. And so when we realize that we, what we have done and that God has done for us, it motivates us to try and fix the situation. So these are the steps to salvation. It starts with repentance. Repentance is broken down into all these things. First, hearing the word, believing the word, recognizing that we're sinners and confessing, and that understanding that we cannot do this by ourselves. And that without Christ, eventually, we're going to die. And then recognizing God's love, and that motivates us to faith, brings us to a point of faith. So we're going to look at all those steps today in detail, okay, in detail. And then finally, it brings us to a desire to change. You know, when my wife points out something to me and I say, you know, I'm going to do better. You know, my, my mother used to say, I'm a promising boy. I made a lot of promises. And it's in me to try, and it's in our desire to try and change. So the steps to salvation, as I said, the first step is hearing the word. Amen. Hearing the word and starting to meditate upon the word till it starts to germinate and we come to faith and start to believe. Romans 10, 14 says, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Matthew twelve forty one says, The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented 
at the preaching of Jonas. We first have to hear the message. Someone has to speak to us. Someone has to tell us that God is real, that he loves you, that he can change your life. We have got to hear that. That's the first step. And then with God's grace and mercy, it can start to maybe move our hearts. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that what he is, that means that he exists and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There is a power in the gospel. That's what Paul in Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That is the good news, for it is the power of God. It is the motivator because if we understand <coughs> the gospel message, it's one of love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a, that's a good message. That's a love message. Now, maybe it takes us a while to come to that belief and to start understanding what that means. But, you know, God is so patient, so kind. He just keeps sowing to us love, even when we don't deserve it. There have been so many times I look back on my life and God has just given me uh, things I don't deserve. You know what I say when people ask me how I'm doing? better than I deserve. And I don't just say that. I actually mean it. I really mean it. I'm doing so much better than I deserve. Amen. And so is every one of you. Amen. Amen. So the first step is hearing. And when we hear the word, if it gets into the good soil, then it starts to germinate and we believe. We come to faith. And we see God's hand in our life. You may look back and you may see where God has delivered you. Where there were times you were this close to death or this close to giving up or this close to being in a, in a sad situation. And God stepped in and changed it around. Amen. And lifted you up. That's his seed of love. And you know what that does? We are designed to give back love. We're designed to get love and to give it back. That's how we were designed. And so God is appealing to that in us. And he's showing us his goodness and his love. So then belief comes. And then belief comes confession. A recognition, as I said, that we are sinners. Because that's the next step to understand that we've failed. That we messed up. And an acknowledgement. You can't fix something unless you first deal with it. You have to recognize a problem before you can fix it, right? An alcoholic has to admit that he has a problem or he'll never get past that. We have to recognize that we are sinners, saved by grace. And unless we are willing to, to admit that and understand that we always need, we're a work in progress. We're not a finished thing. We're a work in progress. I still need a lot of things fixed. Amen. I need some rough edges sanded down. And that's what God is doing. When we go through life, some of that sanding down doesn't feel good. But God is perfecting something in us. So the next step after hearing and believing is a recognition that we need help. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin... 
we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You know, one of the differences between uh, mankind and animals is the degree of self-awareness. But sometimes some people are not very aware of how they look. You know, they can be saying stuff and if people were looking at them, but you're the same as what you're criticizing, right? We're not very self-aware. But once we come to understand that we are not perfect and we need salvation, then God can work with us. When the alcoholic realizes, yeah, I have a problem with this, then he can come up with a plan to deal with it. For if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth in, is not in us. Now it's in our nature because Brother um, Jordan spoke about it. It's in our nature to be prideful and to think we're so good. I'm God's gift. Right? It's always the other person. It's them that's causing the issue. Right? I mean, that's, how, that's human nature. We, we, do we really ever stop and say, could it be me? And I've quoted this before, but when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, they didn't say, no, it's him. They didn't all look at Judas and point at him. It's him. <laughs> but that's what we do. No, what did they say? They said, is it I? They said, is it I? All of them recognized that they had the potential to betray him. We all do. When we think we're not, that's when we are in the, the, the position of, of messing up. Because then we think we're so strong that we cannot fail. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. That's the worst kind of deception. When you've deceived yourself, that's the worst kind of deception. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's, it's embedded even in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, right? It's in there, right? Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. It's a daily thing. It's a daily thing because there's, there's moments of unbelief. There's moments of doubt all through the day. That's why when we pray, one of our prayers should be confession and repentance. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In Psalm 32 verse 5, one of a, a beautiful psalm by David, he said, I acknowledged my sin unto thee and mine iniquity I have not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. As I've said so many times, the, the difference between Saul and David was not in the severity of what they did. David had someone killed, committed adultery. Saul didn't do that. And yet one got forgiveness and the other did not. Why? Because he was so prideful. He said, honor me before the people. Let's, let's just sweep this under the rug. Don't, don't make a big fuss about it. Right? And that's what the Bible says God hates. A proud look. A proud look. You want to fall out with God fast? Just go around with your nose stuck up in the area. 
and looking at other people and looking down at other people. That's how you fall out of favor with God real fast. The Bible says the proud he sees what? Far off. Amen. So the next step after we come to hearing and the knowledge is confession. Asking God, inviting him into our situation. And I know this may sound very basic, but I want everyone to to understand that this is necessary. We need to confess every day. I I need God's help every day. Why? Because I'm inside this flesh that wants to do its own thing. Sister Brownie. Yes. Amen. She said pride makes you very unthankful. And so that hurts God too because you start to take his glory. You start to say, I did this. Amen. It was all about me. And it's so easy. It's so easy to fall into that trap. Think you're something. Man, that was pretty good. I was pretty good there. I had them all lapping it up. It's so easy. The devil just whispers stuff to you. And that's why I never want to get into that mode of thinking that I'm something. Because without God, we're nothing. We're nothing. That's why Jesus was able to say, the devil cometh, but he hath nothing in me. Amen. So the next step after we confess is realizing that we can't fix it. We can't fix it. We cannot save ourselves. As they say, you cannot pick, pick yourself up by putting your hands underneath your shoes. You can't pick yourself up that way. Ephesians 2.1 points it out. It says, and you hath he quickened. It's not, and you, you hath yourself quickened. It's you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. For by grace, unmerited favor, not because I deserved it, not because I did something to earn it, but because he loved me. You know, as I used to ask you guys, when did you start loving your children? Any, lift up your hands if you have children here. Okay. All right, when did you start lo- loving them? After they graduated high school? After they achieved something? After they bought you a car? After they paid you back? No. If you're a good parent, you love them the moment they were born. Why? Because of relationship. Not because they had done anything, but they were yours. That's the reason God loves us. When we become his, he loves us because of relationship. Not because we've done anything. Because if that were the the, the case, none of us would be loved. Because children cost a fortune. Cost a fortune, right? I mean, if you were to keep track, they say it's over $100,000 or somewhere between $100,000 and $200,000 between 0 and 20. Right? And some even more than that. Some even more. If it was because of what we could do, none of us would make it. God loves us because of relationship. The same reason, I hope, you love your children. Not because of what they can do for you. Amen? But because of the relationship, because they are yours. Once we become his, he loves us simply because we're his children. Isn't that awesome? That should make you feel warm. He loves me. You know, that little children's song is so profound. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to what? 
him belong. Amen. Yes, Jesus loves me. You all should be singing that every morning. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus. I tell you what, the day, the day we really, 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 really believe that, we'll have some power. We'll be smiling. We'll be singing. We'll be happy. Amen. So we have to come to the realization that we cannot save ourselves. Verse 8, for by grace are you saved. How? Through faith. Through believing that he loves us and not of yourselves. Not because I'm anything, not because I went to school, not because I'm doctor so-and-so. No, that's not why God loves us. It is a gift. A gift. You can't buy a gift. A gift is accepted. Right? It's accepted. Not of works. Paul wanted to make it plain. Lest any man should boast. Colossians 2.13. Almost the same thing he wrote to the church in Colossians. He said, And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, of our heart, hath he quickened, that is made alive, together with him, having forgiven you all. Did you see that little word, three-letter word? All. 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 You should say that. Satan, I've been forgiven all. There's no balance on my account. <laughs> there is no balance on my account. It's zero. You ever pay, paid off a bill and got that zero? Don't you feel good when you, when you see that paper and it says balance zero? Now here's the thing we have to remember. When Jesus died, all our sins were future. He paid ahead. He prepaid it. It's like one of them debit cards where it's prepaid. It comes loaded with the cash. And you being dead in your sins and circumcision of the hath he quick made alive together with him, having forgiven you all. I wish that was capitalized in your Bible. All trespasses. And verse 14 says, blotting out. That means you can't even read what the charge was. You know, when you blot out something, you know, when they're releasing government documents and there's parts, parts of the document you're not supposed to read, they put a big old black marker right there. You can't even tell what it said. You can't even read what the charge was. It was blotted out. That's why we should love God. It's not even struck through, you know, with a line where you can still kind of see what it was. It's blotted out so you can't even read it. Satan can't even read it. Blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances. That means the laws that was against us. Which was contrary to us. That means we couldn't keep it. And took it out of the way. Nailing it to his cross. Nailing it to his cross. Sister Mary. Mm-hmm. They say redacted, yes. Redacted. And you can't even see what it said. Because it's been redacted. Well, Jesus redacted <laughs> all. All the charges against you. And all of them were future. 
all of them were future. Even the ones that are still future. If you stay in faith. If you stay in faith. If we were going to disinherit our children every time they messed up, none of us would have children. <laughs> we wouldn't have parents. Because all have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's what you do when you're in that situation. What you have to remember is that he has blotted out, having forgiven you all trespasses. He was writing this to the church because, you know, the flesh wants legalism. The flesh wants to, and Satan wants to bring back our past. Now, it's not bad sometimes to remember where God took you from. But don't let Satan beat you up with it. Because it's been redacted. You can't even read. You can't, you can't see the names. Amen. So this is the part. We, we first repent. We hear. We confess. We come to the realization we cannot save ourselves. And we ask to understand that if we don't, we risk eternal damnation. Psalms 86 verse 13 says, For great is thy mercy towards me. We have that song. And thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, Fear not. Remember, he talked about fearing. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's why when we come to the realization that we need to escape from Sodom and Gomorrah, we need to come out of certain things, right? Ezekiel 18.4 says, Behold, all souls are mine, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. And the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Eventually, that's what's going to happen if we do not reciprocate God's love. Because He's made it so easy, right? He's, he's, he's forgiven all our transgressions. Amen. I put this, this saying up here from Charles Spurgeon. It says, Hell itself has for its fiercest flame the separation of the soul from God. That is the ultimate death when we, our soul is separated from God. Amen. When we go through these steps, and the reason why I'm going through these steps is to understand that baptism, just, just walking in here, going in the pool and coming out, without going through these steps, makes baptism void, meaningless. You have to understand these steps. You have to hear. You have to believe Right? You have to believe. You have to understand that you need to be saved. You have to understand that you need a change. Then when you do baptize in faith believing, it becomes valid. This is why I'm going through these steps to show it's not a matter of, Pastor, I need to be baptized. Because I'm going to question you. I'm going to see what it is you want to be baptized for. Because there's so many we baptize and they think it's like a magic trick. They go in there, they come back out, and now they're going to win the lotto. Their enemies are coming to bow down before them. And their life now is roses. No, that's not what baptism is about. No, we're going to get to it. So we come to the realization that without Christ, we're going to die. And then we recognize, as I've been talking about, God's love. God's love. Once we recognize God's love, that is going to start to birth something in us to give back love. Luke 19.41 Jesus on his last time coming to Jerusalem he looked at the city and he sat on the hill. 
And he looked at all those thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people who had come for Passover. And he wept. He looked at that city and he wept. The very God who created all those people stood on the hill and looked and he knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen. That in a very short time, in a few years, the Romans were going to come and crucify more than a million people. A million people. They, they, they mowed down whole forests to make crosses because they wanted to teach the Jews a lesson. And they lined the road for miles with crosses. Jesus said, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this... I believe there's many times God is looking at some people and weeping. Because he's seeing what their future could be like and what could happen. If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. Many times we miss the things which God has set aside to give us peace, to give us blessing. Because we're just blind. We're just going down our own road thinking we're okay. The things which belong unto thy, but now they are hid from thine eyes. See, the fact that Jesus wept was because of love. It wasn't any other reason. He knew that they were going to reject him. He knew they were going to crucify him. And yet they were so close to getting the Messiah that they had wanted. John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, which everybody who doesn't even come to church knows. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That was his purpose. It wasn't to see all these people die and be lost, but it was to try and save. And when you, part of repentance is recognizing that God loves you and that he has promises for you and that you do not have to go down this path. And when you recognize God's love, then it gets to the next stage. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that he's going to call you. What did you tell the, the dealership? Amen. That's the right answer. That God has called us to be kings. Imagine that. You, 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 we, we are probably a million miles in the, in, the, in the DNA from some royalty, right? There are people that go and they trace their stuff back all the way to King Henry VIII and they can show that way back 30 generations they... Someone, someone's marriages, aunts, cousins, brothers. Well, we're probably far out on that tree. Far, far out on that tree. But here we go. We've been adopted above that. Above that. Behold! He's saying, look up, pay attention. What amazing thing this is. That the Father hath bestowed upon us. This is better than the, uh, what's those people with the big fake check come and knock on the door? The um, publishers. This is better than that. 
by far. This is not money that can perish. This is eternal life and eternity ruling with Christ. Behold, you can't even understand the love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not. You're not known by anyone, most of us in here, right? No? No, no rich and famous know about you, right? Because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear. We can't even begin to dream or understand what God has got in store. What we shall be. But we know by faith when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he's... What God is saying is that we're going to be identically like Jesus. Now that blows my mind. Verse 3 then goes on to say, Every man that hath this hope purifieth himself. That means... We, we separate ourselves. That's the best we can do. We can't make ourselves be good, but we can separate ourselves from things that defile. We can avoid the things that are going to tear us down. We can, you know, get away from some people. Get away from some places. Get away from some... Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Now, there's another scripture that I was reading either last night or this morning, that I read many times, but it hit me in a, a different way. He says, and this hope, this is Paul, is what entereth behind the veil. Think about it, what I'm saying. In the Old Testament, the only person who could enter behind the veil was what? The high priest, to get into the presence of God. But Paul is saying, the hope, the faith you have, is what enters behind the veil. It's your hope and faith that gives you an entrance behind the veil into the very presence of God. And that's why holding fast to your faith is so important. So important that you hold that you don't let Satan damage and take away your faith because it's what allows you now until we get to heaven to enter behind the faith. We can come boldly to that throne of grace. Amen. There to obtain mercy. So now we see God's love and then we understand God's love in action. And I'm taking a long time to explain this because this is the process of repentance. It's not just getting wet and coming back out and saying I'm saved. No. There is a, you have to understand what you're doing. You have to have come to a point where you acknowledge you're a sinner. You have to understand that you want this relationship with God because he first loved us. And part of that is understanding now, because of God's love, what he did for you. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, Paul is explaining, he says, To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling, fixing, making right. That's right. The world unto himself. Not imputing, not writing down all our messes. Not putting it in a book. And hath committed unto us given us the same word of reconciliation. That means that we now go to other people and tell them, listen, God loves you. It does not matter what you have done if you will come to him by faith because he's already prepaid. He's already made the deposit to cover all your debt. All your debt is paid. Now, 
I don't know how much debt you have. I have a whole bunch. I have one of those apps that shows me how much I, what's the total indebtedness. It adds my house, my cars, everything. It just tells me. Got this big number. Now, what would you think if someone came and just said, I'm paying every bit of that. Zip, zero, zilch. That's what God has done. <laughs> that's what God has done. He has said, all your, and that's, that's the kind of money we could not pay. It's not money. It took more than money to pay for that. The blood of bulls and goats could not pay for my forgiveness. But here he says that God was in Christ Jesus. This is the actions that he took. He didn't just say, I love you, which many of us do. He acted upon that love. He came to earth. God took off his glory, came to earth, let people spit on him. Let people call him names. Let them whip him. Let them tear out his face. Put a crown of thorns on him and nail him to a cross. That's what he did to show his love. As people say, it wasn't the nails that held him there, it was the love. Isaiah 53 verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. In other words, our sins. And the punishment, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, with each whip, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Ever watch some sheep that are just put into a pasture? They just go everywhere. They don't know where they're going. They just go into wherever they think the grass is greener. And we have turned everyone to our own way. But the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us. Here's that three-letter word again. All. Verse 10, jumping down to verse says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Amen. You see, when you read that, and understand what Jesus did for you and I. I hope that it moves you. It moves me. It makes me want to do better. Before baptism, you need to go through this stage. This next stage is godly sorrow. To being regretful for your past situation. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter was empowered by the Holy Ghost to start to explain what was happening, he started to tell the people what it was they had done. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord, that means anointed, and Christ, the the, the anointed one, the, the Messiah. In verse 37, it says, And now when they heard this, They were pricked in their hearts. In other words, they started to experience godly sorrow. After he had preached to them, they started to realize what was being said and things started to click. And they started to come to an understanding of who Jesus was and what terrible thing they had done. It says they were pricked in their heart. That's godly sorrow. When God starts to move in your heart, when you start to feel conviction, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It means God is not done with you at all. 
It means he's still speaking to you. He's still wanting you as his child. When you start to feel godly. Now the dangerous thing is when you feel nothing. That's when you worry. If you can hear God's word and feel nothing and don't care, that's a dangerous place. But if you can feel sorrow, if you can feel conviction, that's a good thing. It means God is still working with you. It says, now when they were pricked in their hearts and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? How can we, we're in a terrible place. We hear what you say and we believe it now. What shall we do? 2 Corinthians 7.10 tells you why godly sorrow is a good thing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be turned around again, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. That's why people commit suicide. See, when, when it's a sorrow to God, it won't prompt you to kill yourself. It will prompt you to change. If it's a sorrow, just the worldly sorrow, you just want out. That's the difference. Here's, here's some, some things. Godly sorrow pushes you into God's arms. Worldly sorrow causes you to hide from God. Involves your whole person, intellect, and emotions. That means when you're truly repentant, it's all of you. When you're not truly repentant, there's part of you still fighting. It's not integrated holistically. That's some long words to say what I'm telling you. Has faith in the sufficiency. When it's godly sorrow and you believe, you believe that God has the power to forgive you. When you don't believe, it causes you to punish yourself. Worldly sorrow just makes you, you know, people cut themselves and they do all kinds of things. Godly sorrow makes you, motivates you to believe God's word and that he still loves you. Godly sorrow will, in the end, give life. Worldly sorrow hardens the heart and leads to internal deadness. Godly sorrow rests in the grace of God, not in your own sufficiency. Doubts God's goodness and his love. In other words, it says, he can't forgive me. Right? You're telling God what he can't do. You're saying, your death on Calvary was not good enough. Well, if his death on Calvary wasn't good enough, there isn't anything else. You're telling God that his death was not sufficient for him to forgive you. Godly sorrow sincerely desires to return to healthy ways of relating to God and others. It'll, it'll give you an urge to change. Worldly sorrow just despairs over what you got to do without really being urged to move. Godly sorrow leads to eternal salvation. That's what 2 Corinthians 7.10 says. But worldly sorrow, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, uh, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Amen. Godly sorrow then will produce a desire to change. Psalm 51, I cut off the P there, I'm sorry. David, when he was confronted, this is all about repentance. I'm doing this because I've had so many people call me, say they want to get baptized. I want to be baptized now. Can you do it Monday? Can, 
Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Have you repented? Do you understand what you're doing? Have you been through these steps? Because otherwise I'm just heating up the water and getting you wet. But there won't be any change. David, when he understood, he had God. He said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge, you see, he's going through all the steps here that I've talked about. He's realizing he can't fix himself. God has to wash him. He's confessing. For I acknowledge my transgressions, my sin is ever before. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Godly sorrow will motivate us to change. Probably my biggest prayer all the time is, Lord, change me. I've said that before. That's what I want God to do, to change me. Because I don't want to be the same as I was last year. I want to be growing. Amen. So then we become obedient to his word. And I'm going to run out of time today. This is a long lesson. We then become obedient to his word. Because salvation comes through obedience to God's love. Then Peter said, when they asked him, what shall we do? Now after you've been through all those stages, then you can be baptized. Because you've understood, you've, you've repented, you understand, you understood what God did, you understand his grace. If you just go jump the line and go to there, that's why so many people that are baptized, we don't see them after about a week or two. It's so quick because they were thinking all they had to do, the magic was in the water. The magic is not in the water. No, it's a process that has to happen in your heart. After they'd been all those stages, then verse 38 says, Peter then said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and he shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we, I know this is one of Christopher's favorite scriptures, so that we, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that awesome? That we can become God's righteousness. How? Through faith. Romans says that it was accounted to, to Abraham righteous. Not, not because he was literally righteous, but God just put that in his book. I'm going to call you righteous. Calling those things that are not. God can do that when we come to him by faith. Amen. It's hard for our little puny mind to really, at least for my puny mind, to understand that and accept that. I have to fight my flesh who says, no, you're, you're no good. Because in my flesh I am no good. But God is not looking at me the way I am. He's looking at the finished work of his cross. Amen. See, the steps of salvation, we're finishing up here, is, and we're not going to get through this, is... First of all, the blood, which Jesus said, is the covering, and the water represents the cleansing. See? Psalms 51, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me, verse 7, with his, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. I've had people many times come and ask me, can I be baptized again? And really, most of the time, I don't want to do that. Because Jesus was only crucified once. He was only, we don't need to be baptized again. When we sin, 
God has provided a way for us to be forgiven. The Bible says we are washed by the word. Amen. It's when we keep hearing the word. It's cleaning us. It's cleaning me, even though I'm saying it today. The word, because it's not my word, it's, it's cleaning me. It's giving me faith. Amen. It's making me feel a certain way because God is so good and gracious. Amen. If you could stand with me. What does baptism do? Well, if done with the steps of true repentance, it removes our past sin. It removes our past sin. Acts 22, verse 10, Paul was recounting his Damascus Road experience. And he's telling what happened. He says, and I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise, go unto Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and do what? Wash away thy sins. The, one of the purposes of baptisms is, as I said, it washes away our sins if we have done the steps of repentance. If we have done the steps of repentance. Therefore, Romans 6, 4, we are buried with him. The second part of baptism, it identifies in his death. We're buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead, amen, by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness, believing that God has forgiven, that we are a brand new creature. That's why our prayers most of the time are not answered, because we don't believe that. We don't believe we are perfect in him because Satan has got us listening to his voice. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. I'm going to stop there today. We'll continue next week. God wants us to come to him. And those are the steps for salvation. And even though we have been baptized some of those steps we need to do every day. Paul says, I die daily. Amen. I die daily. Create in me a clean heart every day, Lord, because I need it. Amen. Renew a right spirit within me. Amen. Help me to bring others to you, Lord God. Help me to be a light to show others your way and your truth, Lord. Because you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can even ask or think. Hallelujah. If you could bow your hearts to me. Father, we thank you today for you, the way that you have loved us, O oh God, the way you have shown your greatness and your mercy. Lord, for everyone who is listening to the sound of my voice, Lord God, we ask right now, let your grace and mercy be multiplied. First, O oh God, to me, O oh Lord, and to everyone who's listening, Lord God, for all have sinned and come short of your glory. But your mercy and your love and your relationship, Lord God, that you said you have washed us and forgiven us all. We thank you today and we give you all the honor and the praise. Hallelujah. And we lift up your name in Jesus' name. Let's give God a praise offering. Hallelujah.